Who is your one? That is the question that we are answering in this series, which is much more than a series. It's an initiative. If you're new, welcome. If you didn't get a book like last week, you can grab one at the welcome tent. Guys, here's what we're doing as a church. We're asking this question, what would it look like for everybody in the church? By the way, this isn't a church vision. This is like an individual vision for you. Like what would it look like if you, if you call yourself a Christian that is, what if you built one relationship and took one gospel risk to bring Christ to that relationship? Here's how we're saying it. What would it look like for you to take personal risks to bring Christ to every relationship? So here's what I want you to know, guys. If you're new to Two Cities, maybe if you've even come around for a while, I want you to know this about Two Cities. We are not playing church, okay? There are certain places you can go and you play church there. And this is not Christian karaoke and a TED talk. Okay, that's not what we're doing here. We are on mission together and we're saying, guys, get on the bus. We're headed up the hill. We're on a journey and a time of spiritual renewal. You saw that video. Don't you want videos like that about your life and people you know? It's like, of course you do. Guys, the only way the gospel goes forward is one relationship, one risk at a time. How do we reach many? We reach many by everybody reaching one more. How do we reach everyone? We reach everyone by you reaching one. Okay, now we gave you a card, guys. You don't have to do it right now. You can do it while I'm praying. You, you can do it while I'm preaching, whatever, okay? Uh, we want you to write down, hopefully you've wrestled with this this week. Who is that one person that you're gonna take personal responsibility for the Great Commission. And you're gonna go, God, I believe that the gospel goes forward, one invitation, one prayer, one conversation, one question at a time, and I'm committed to taking personal responsibility for this person. By the way, if you're not ready to write somebody else's name down, you know what you need to do? You need to write your name down. You need to go, I'm not in the place that I thought I was spiritually. And God has to do a great work in me. If I can't think of one person's name to write down and I don't wanna do this, then God has to do something in me. So some of you, you're gonna to need to put your name down. And here's what we're gonna do at the end, not right now, but the end of my sermon, we're gonna pray and you're gonna bring the cards up. And what we're gonna do, by the way, when you put those cards, you're gonna drop them in a basket. We're gonna pray over them as staff and elders. We're gonna trust God with you. And it's gonna be symbolic. And then we're gonna give you one of these, okay? Now, if you're a man, this is a wristband. If you're a woman, it's a bracelet. Okay, there you go. And uh, you, you can grab one of these and the, it says on it one. And these are, it's not showy, it's meant to be simple. If you don't wanna wear it, don't wear it. But for most of us, it's gonna be a great reminder when we look down at our wrists multiple times a day, I need to be praying for my one and I need to be pursuing my one. Guys, this is a, this is a big moment. And guess what, by the way, just a quick side note, today is our seventh anniversary as a church. Isn't that great? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And guys, here's the most exciting thing. I get to travel a lot, meet a lot of other pastors, meet a lot of other churches, and see, and I'm just telling you, something special is happening here. And here's the most unique thing about seven years in, it genuinely feels like we're just getting started. We're not slowing down. And uh, God is using this series and this initiative to prepare us for our new home and hub on Patterson Avenue. So let's pray, and then let's get to work. Pray with me. Lord, we are committing right now as individuals to just take the Bible seriously. It's like, we're not playing church. We believe the cross of Jesus Christ matters. We believe that it makes a difference. We believe in heaven and hell. We believe in the necessity to have conscious saving faith in Christ. We believe in sin and grace and repentance and truth. And all of that's coming to a focus as we're saying, and we wanna Bring that message to one person who's far from God, but close to us, our one. 
Lord, I pray that you would in this series um, protect our church. I, I know that as we're heading into a series that's about something as important as advancing the mission of the church, that what's gonna happen in a lot of our lives is there's gonna be spiritual warfare. There's gonna be spiritual warfare in marriages and in families and sin struggles and temptations. And I pray that you would protect us, Lord, that we might take the gospel to one more and therefore reach many more. Pray this in Jesus' name and, every, and all God's people said, amen. All right, guys, it's been said, I'm not the first to say this, but you need to hear this. I need to hear this, okay? The greatest hindrance to God's mission is the failure of God's people. I know, it's not encouraging. But this is where we're gonna start today, guys. It's not where we're gonna end. The, the, the greatest hindrance to God's mission is the failure of you and me. And all you have to do is think about it for like five minutes and that'll make sense. It's like, yeah, Jesus Christ, you hear it every time we do the baptism. Jesus Christ did everything necessary to save you. Okay, so he did the heavy lifting and the hard work. He lived a sinless life. He died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He gave his spirit, he gave his word, he gave his church. Yet, why are we reaching so few people? We're gonna talk about this today. It's because we're not ready. It's because you're not ready. And God gets us ready. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 10, I wanna tell you something that's very important. If you have to leave early, this is the big idea. By the way, we're today in the largest, longest narrative in the book of Acts. About two guys that don't know each other and are about to meet, Cornelius and Peter. We're moving today from Paul to Peter and then we'll move back to Paul. But here's, what, here's the big idea for this whole section. God is always preparing both the unbeliever and the believer for the next gospel conversation. That's why we have this portion of scripture, that's it. I'm convinced it's the main idea of this text. God is always preparing the Christian to share the gospel. He may even be doing a one initiative through the church to help him do that. And he's always preparing the unbeliever to hear the gospel. And so you need to believe that, by the way, that's an element or aspect of faith. You are believing God's at work in my life. And then I believe that God's at work in the people's lives that I meet. And I believe that God actually brought us together for a purpose. Cause here, let me give you the whole kind of thing we're gonna get into and then we'll get into it. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna meet this guy named Cornelius and he lives far away from this other guy named Peter who you know. And when we see what happens is God comes into Cornelius's life and he works on Cornelius to get Cornelius ready to hear the gospel. And then way over here in Joppa, you know, far away, they've never met each other. God is working in Peter's life to get Peter ready to share the gospel. And then he asks you through some crazy circumstances, bring them together, and then we'll see this. This is the saddest part. We'll get here in about 40 minutes. The saddest part is when they meet each other, they still don't know why they met each other. Peter still doesn't know what to do, and Cornelius still doesn't know what to do, and God's gracious, and we'll see how this works out. But turn with me to Acts chapter 10, okay? And I want you to see that God is always preparing you and preparing the non-Christian in your life to hear the gospel. All right, here we go. At Caesarea, this is north of Jerusalem. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion, so he's a successful Roman soldier. A centurion was someone over 100 people. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He's going to be the first European convert. He's a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. We've got to talk about Cornelius because our city, Winston-Salem, is full of Corneliuses, okay? 
Couple things about Cornelius. The first thing is that he's a Gentile. So here's what you need to know. And then this will discourage you and hopefully encourage you at the same time. So it's like, it's always helpful to like put the Bible together and go, where are we in, in time? Like what year is it? How much time has passed? Here, here's what's happened. It has been 10 years, one decade since Pentecost. So it's been 10 years since the Holy Spirit fell and Jesus ascended to heaven and the mission to go into all nations was given to the church. And why do I bring that up? Because it's been 10 years and they still haven't had their first Gentile believer. It's been 10 years and they haven't had their first Gentile convert. And you got, I think, I think it's a huge critique on the church, but, but it's very honest about your life. I mean, here's what's gonna happen. As soon as we, and we, we do this hopefully in the most warm way possible, as soon as we press on you to share with your sister, you're gonna have that conversation, you know? You're like, I've, I've been a Christian for 12 years and I've never said anything to her. It's like, yeah, I know. It took 10 years to reach Cornelius, it's okay. And we say, well, you, you know, you're, you're in your neighborhood for a reason. And you think to yourself, you're like, I hate my neighbors. You're like, I, you know, I, I haven't talked to my neighbors mean a little bit of hello and goodbye when we, it's just like, it's been, but it's been eight years I've lived in this neighborhood. It's like, it's okay, okay. Wherever you are is where you start. But it's like, you realize this is what a spiritual leader does. And every once in a while, a spiritual leader will come to an environment and this is what they'll say. Hey guys, why hasn't anybody reached that person yet? It's actually the missionary spirit. Like every missionary goes, hey, do you know there's this tribe in India and they have no access to the gospel? Is there a reason nobody's going there? And everyone's like, uh, uh, uh. It's like, we'll go. We're gonna go reach new people. We're gonna do new things. We're gonna go to new places. So the first thing is, I want you to realize that the early church is in a situation like you and I find ourselves in. We're, we're a little embarrassed that it's been so long since we've reached the people in our life we need to reach. The second thing you need to know about Cornelius is this is kind of interesting, okay? And who knows who God's gonna call you to. Cornelius, well, how about I say this? Peter would not like Cornelius. Why? Cornelius was a part of the, well, one, he's a Gentile. Two, he's in the Roman military. And the job of the Roman military was to oppress the Jews, basically. So here's another principle you need to understand. God may call you to reach people who are not like you and who you don't like. I had this one lady, I've had so many conversations this week with elders and staff and my community group and other people. And this one lady, she, this week she said, she said, Pastor Kyle, I said, yeah. She goes, I've, I think I've got my one. I said, that's great. She said, here's the only problem. I don't like her. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, you know, okay, God's gonna, this is the, God's gonna have to, we're gonna get here. God's gonna have to do something in you all the time, all the time, before God's gonna be able to do something through you. So, okay, now, now we gotta see, like, here's the other thing. This is why I say Cornelius. There are so many, Cor you know, Winston-Salem is crawling with Corneliuses. And by the way, Cornelius is not a Christian, but he's a great guy. Cornelius is religious. He's moral. He's conservative. He's a great neighbor, an awesome uncle, and a fantastic employee. The only problem is he doesn't know Jesus. But your temptation with Paul, your temptation in mine with a guy like Paul, like from last week, we think, we think certain people are like, they're too far gone. He's like, he's the crazy frat boy. He's getting drunk. He's part of the hookup, shackup, breakup culture. He's an atheist. He's too far gone. But then, that's Paul. But then we look at guys like Cornelius and we think, well, he's junk. Shucks. Doesn't, doesn't guys like that get a hall pass? I mean, he believes in God. And he gives money to the church or I don't know, the Rotary Club or the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. I mean, he's a, we'll see there in a second, he's a generous guy. Here's what we need to understand here. Here's what Cornelius, because some of you, by the way, in a room this size, you know, for sure. I mean, we've got a couple of Corneliuses in here. 
And here's what Cornelius needs to hear. Being good, dot, 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 is not good enough. See, what the religious spirit says, and this is what religious people believe. They believe there are good people and there are bad people. And the good people are in here and the bad people are out there. And the gospel says, actually, there are bad people and there are Jesus. That's it. <laughs> well, you have to tell people, and this, this, this will be shocking. You can tell a religious person because they cannot handle this statement. Good people don't go to heaven. That will mess with somebody who grew up in just a religious church. Like, well, because then they would ask, and it's the right question to ask. If good people don't go to heaven, then who goes to heaven? The answer is good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. So I want you to meet Cornelius. He's a guy that most people think doesn't need God. Why? Because he's a good guy. Second, because he has a lot of religious activity. Do you notice that? He's giving. I mean, there's no direct connection between having religious activity and being a born-again Christian. There are people who can be converted to church culture, but not converted to Christ. You understand that? Like they know how to dress, they know how to talk, they know how to say they're struggling with things when they're not, they're just giving in. They know how to say they're praying about it when they're not, they're just thinking about it. They know all of the language, they know how to, if they called on to say a prayer at dinner, they know how to do it for 10 seconds. They have been converted, woe to us. They have been converted to church culture, not converted to Christ. Did you notice that he's a spiritual man? It says he prays all the time. Okay, this is another thing. It's like, it's not enough to just generically believe in God. God does not want us to have a fuzzy view of him. He sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our savior. So here's what we would call Cornelius. Cornelius is religiously lost. Some of you are religiously lost. I had a guy call me one time in his 70s. I was like, why is this guy calling me? He's in our church and, and great guy, but I didn't know him. Well. I thought this was kind of strange. He calls me, he says, Pastor Kyle, I gotta tell you, you know how you talk about religiously lost people? I said, yeah, you know, when we start talking, I'm not thinking it's gonna go this way. He goes, I'm religiously lost. I thought, I didn't know that. He says, yeah, I just came to Christ. I need to get baptized I'm in my 70s. I thought, man, there are religiously lost people in our church. They're in church, but they're not in Christ. See, there's two ways you can be lost, rebelliously lost and religiously lost rebelliously lost. If you want to see rebelliously lost people, get in your car, drive three hours, and go to downtown Asheville. They're like, there you are, there you are, there you are, right? Rebelliously lost people, it's like, okay, you hate your parents, and you're living an alternative lifestyle, and you came here to hide, and you know, that's rebelliously lost people. And we get it. And I actually think it's easier to lead a rebelliously lost person to Christ. Because they're like, yeah, I hate my dad, and you know, yes, I'm living an alternative lifestyle, and no, I wouldn't say I'm a Christian, and no, I don't know if there's a God, and yes, I... Sin is what I do, that's my hobby, sinning, yes. It's like, okay, well then we can work with you. Because sometimes the hardest thing is getting someone not found, but getting them lost. And the, now the religious person, they're just so hard because they know all the right things to say. So the rebellious person needs to repent of their badness and the religious person needs to repent of their goodness. And so we'll see here, I'll, I'll show you what happens. So an angel shows up and speaks to Cornelius, verse three. About the ninth hour of the day, he, that's Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And this is exactly how you would respond if an angel appeared in your bedroom, right? Don't think, you know, chubby baby with a diaper on. That is not what an angel is, okay? 
If an angel appeared to you in the middle of the night and you were in your bed, you would be changing your sheets in the morning. Okay, that's what would happen. He's scared and he should be. An angel appears to him and this is what he says. And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What does that mean? Anybody who seeks me will be found by me, God says. I will come after the person who's seeking me. Now, here's what this means. I know some of you read the Bible and you go, wait a second, Kyle, there's this verse in Romans 3 that says, no one seeks God, no, not one. But wait a second, there's all these other verses in the Old Testament that say, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me and I will be found by you. What does this mean? If somebody is seeking God, that means God's already at work in their life. And part of what you're looking for, among other things, is where is God working? Where is there already spiritual interest? God's at work. This, something happened in this guy's life or he's asking questions or where is God at work? Anyway, so he says, I'm gonna answer your prayers. Look what happens in verse five. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So here it is, guys. God is bringing people together on purpose for a purpose. God is bringing unbelievers into your life, if you're a believer, on purpose for a purpose. And you have to start seeing life this way. You have to stop having some pessimistic view. So many people have a pessimistic view. I hate my boss. My neighbors are annoying. It's like, you're like okay, here's what you need to start saying. Or, use, or worse, they'll never believe. They're not interested. Here's what you need to believe. If they are in my life, God is working in their life because God is working in my life. If God brought them into my life, he must be at work in their life because I'm in their life. I mean, it's like, that's such a positive view. It's like, God must be at work in my kids' lives. Why? Because he gave them Christian parents. Maybe that's why. It's like, I bet God's, uh, you know, some of you, you're thinking about your brother, you're thinking about your dad, you're thinking about your mom, you're thinking about your grandpa. You know, you think about, I had this lady last night, uh, you know, she's like, I know who my one is. It's my brother who's 10 years younger than me. It's like, yeah, you know who it is. And the first thing Satan wants to do is discourage you. And you need to say, you know what? God must be working in my brother's life who's 10 years younger than me. Why? Because I'm in his life. And our church is going through an initiative in which God's working in our lives so that we can reach out to other people. So God, that's so exciting. It's like, you have a waitress at the, at, at, you know, you go out to dinner or whatever. You're like, God must be at work in this waitress life. Why? Because they stepped into my life. You want to have a faith-filled, hopeful, optimistic, God is going to use me. That has to be your conviction. He's bringing Peter together to meet with Cornelius. Look at verse six. He says this, he's lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. The angel sp who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, we don't know our Bibles as well as the first readers of the Bible, okay? They would have been Jews reading the Bible. So when you hear Joppa, you go, that's an interesting place. When you hear Joppa, you should think of one person, Jonah. Jonah lived in Joppa. Jonah got a message that he should share the gospel in Nineveh. And according to the Jesus story with Bible, guess where he heads? Not Nineveh. That's what it says. He headed, in, this is what you would do. He headed in the exact opposite direction. Now we come back to Peter. He's in Joppa. He's going to get a message to share the gospel with Cornelius. And he's not going to go in the other direction, but he's going to go to do that. I'll show you this in a second. Now here's Peter. So I showed you the first eight verses. God is preparing the unbeliever Cornelius. Now God is going to prepare the believer Peter. Look here. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, I can't talk about this a lot this week. I'm gonna talk about it a lot next week. But everything starts with prayer. 
It's like, man, you know, this is like the first thing we're asking people to do. It's like so, so many of us, right? We almost never pray. We pray a little, we do zipper prayers. We begin and end things in prayer. We pray a little bit in the morning and a little bit of the night and a little bit before a meal and a little bit before our kids go to bed. But we don't do what Peter does. You notice that Peter has a time and place to pray. Would that change your life? I think it might. And actually, by the way, the, tw- the, the sixth hour is noon, which means that Peter liked to take part of his lunch break to pray. Not a bad idea. And then he has a place. He says, I'm gonna go, you know, everybody back then was poor, basically. Like everybody. So they had these one floor homes and on top they had a flat roof and they turned that flat roof into a deck so mom and dad had somewhere occasionally to get away. So he goes up there. It's like, man, how, what would happen in your life if you just said, you know what? I'm gonna start picking a time and a place and I'm gonna just pray for 10 or 15 minutes. And I don't even know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna pray until I can pray. <laughs> and then pray until I have prayed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what God does. What's well, in the midst of Peter's prayer that God speaks to him. I wanna show you this. And he became hungry. Now, I do love the honesty here, right? You ever been praying and you're like, you get hungry or you're like, uh, I think someone texted me or, or uh, did anyone update social media, right? We're all like that. Or you've been praying and you go, that was so long, that was probably an hour and you're looking, it was four minutes. You're like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> We've all had that happen. I appreciate the honesty, here he is. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. You go, Michael, what is a trance? It's what some of you fall into while I preach, okay? This is like, this is like you're daydreaming, you're supposed to be one place, but you're thinking about something else, okay? So he, he falls into this trance and he sees, look here. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So he gets this weird vision. Let me explain it to you. Um, it, God is dealing with Peter's heart toward the Gentiles, but it also at the same time, right? You, he has to deal with a lot of things. So he's dealing with kind of the food laws or what are called the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. I wanna to try to simplify something that's very complex for us right now. The ceremonial laws was laws that God put in place in the Old Testament to make his people distinct. And they basically had two categories, diet and dress. Because have you ever gotten on a plane and like gone to Africa or gotten on a plane and gone to you know Mumbai or gotten on a plane and you go to China. And as soon as you get there, you're overwhelmed by two things, how everybody is dressed and what everybody is eating, okay? So this is what brings distinctions. And, and what God's about to say is he said, now back then they thought there was clean or, or God taught them. There's clean food and then there's these unclean foods. Like for example, and I hate to say this, but you used to not be able to eat bacon under the old covenant, okay? Aren't we all glad? We're like, well, thank you, Lord Jesus, thank you. We can now eat bacon. But so um, he's, he's trying to basically say, there's no clean and unclean food anymore. And there's no clean and unclean people anymore. That's what he's gonna get at. You'll see this in a minute. In fact, maybe the best way to think about it is don't think that the Jews are clean and the Gentiles are unclean. How about you think about this? We're all unclean, but Christ can make any of us clean. That's what he's trying to say. I'll show you. Verse 13, and there, what, could you imagine God saying this? You have this image of reptiles and all these animals. And there came a voice to him that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And every vegetarian hates this verse, but this is what it says, okay? And Peter said, by no means, Lord, which is, you can't say that to God, right? You can't say no, Lord. That's an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or airplane food or Microsoft works. These are words that you just, you can't put together, okay? But anyway, so he says, he says, no, Lord. And then here, this is, this is it, guys. You look at this. He says this, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. It's almost a statement of pride for him. And God wants to say, your I have nevers need to change. Because he's gonna have to start eating some unclean food if he's gonna meet the Gentiles, if he's gonna be in their house, if he's gonna share the gospel. 
Some of you, you have too many I have nevers as we've entered this series. You're, uh, you know, I have never thought about just sharing the gospel with one person. I have never prayed for lost people. I have never initiated a conversation about Christ. I have never shared my testimony with somebody. I've never invited someone to church. I've never offered to read the Bible with somebody else. I've never asked if I could pray. It's like, well, welcome, because all your I have nevers need to be, I'm gonna start doing. So he tells this to Peter, and look how Peter responds. It says this, and a voice came to him again a second time and clarifies and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. So here's the main thing with the preparation of Peter, and it's with you and me too, okay? God is saying, you're going to have to grow before you'll be ready to go. That before you can do the mission necessary, you need to personally mature. That if, if you're going to go wider in mission, you're going to have to go deeper in discipleship in your own life. Now, here, here's what I feel. Like, this is what I feel. After launching this series last week, and again, I told you, talking to leaders and elders and staff and my community group and other people, I have two deep, deep convictions eight, 10 days into this, whatever it is. Conviction number one is this is the exact right series. This is the, this is the series because this is, you know, this is what's gonna prepare us for our new home and hub. I feel like the Holy Spirit is, this, this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do. He loves to save sinners. He loves to give people hope. He loves to change destinies and lineages and legacies and eternities. So I, I'm 100%, I've never been more certain that this is the right series at the right time for our church. So that's the, that's the encouraging part, okay? Here's the discouraging part. My second conviction after talking to people all week for the last seven days, our church is not ready for this series. Like, sadly, I have to break it to me. Our church is not as mature as I thought it was. I mean, yes, you guys like good Bible teaching and you like worship and you like some cultural analysis and you like good age and stage ministries for your kids. But most of us are not where we need to be with sharing Christ with other people. I know it because of the conversations I've had this week. The amount of people who have said, I don't have any non-Christians in my life at all. It's like, okay, well, by the way, here's the encouraging thing. Wherever you are is where you begin. Wherever you are, that's where you start. But for some people, it's like, we need to repent that we have been in such a monastery mindset, such a bomb shelter mindset, that we have no relationships with anybody who is far from God. There, there's other people that have said, man, I, you know what? Just, I have never in my whole life talked to another person about Jesus. And you talk to this person, you're like, well, how long have you been a Christian? Like 22 years. And you start asking, how is that even possible? You ask, I mean, you ask all these deep theological questions. How can the Holy Spirit live inside someone like that? And how can they tell nobody about Jesus for 22 years? There's people that's like, I've never read the Bible with somebody else. I've never gone public with my faith. It's like, we've got to grow, guys. So Peter had to deal with personal issues and cultural issues. You'll have to deal with the same. I don't know what your personal issue is. For most of us guys, it's that we're... We care too much what other people think about us. God help us, you know? It's like I was talking to my kids yesterday. You know, I got 11, nine, seven-year-old. My nine and seven-year-old, my boys were with me, and I said, guys, who's gonna be your one? 
And they said, well, Dad, basically everyone we know is a Christian. And I started thinking, I'm like, that's basically true, you know. But not, and I said, well, we're going to soccer. I said, well, what if you guys are on the soccer team? I said, is there anybody on the soccer team who's far from God and close to you who you could, you could talk about Jesus with? And my, I appreciate it, my youngest, my seven-year-old goes, Dad, it's super awkward to talk to someone about Jesus who's not a Christian. And I'm like, this is exactly how our entire church feels. Out of the mouth of babes and infants. It's like, you know, this is, this is it. We've got to get over that. Here, and then there's, there's, so there's personal issues. So for a lot of people, their personal issue is they're selfish. Because you minister out of margin. And most people are like, you know what I want to do? I want as many free nights as possible to Uber Eats in, drink microbrew beer, and watch multiple episodes of a show. And I'm unwilling. I know Christ died for me, but I'm unwilling for any of those nights to change. I might give the church one community group night, but that will be it. I certainly won't think strategically about my free time and how it could be engaged. It's like, we've got to get over that, guys. We have to get over the cultural, okay? There's this enormous cultural pressure, right? The cultural pressure back then was different. The cultural pressure back then was Jews and Gentiles don't hang out. We don't have that cultural pressure. The cultural pressure today is you don't talk to people about Jesus. I remember I was talking to one guy. I said, I was, when I was doing ministry at Duke, I said, I was talking to this one guy. And I was really excited. I said, hey, you know what? I am, uh, I'm, there's a lot of Jewish kids at Duke, tons, tons. Cultural reform, secular Jews. I said, it's been so exciting. I've had to learn all about Ju Judaism and I've started to share the gospel with these Jewish kids at Duke. And I'm telling this one guy and the guy says to me, leave the Jews alone. <laughs> and I thought, this is it. This is the one thing you don't do. You don't talk to Jewish people about Jesus. It's like, it, wait, wait, no, that's exactly what the first church did the whole time. That's exactly how the apostle Paul came to Christ. You're gonna have to get over those taboos. Let me show you, here's what happens. And a voice came to him again a second time, I'm in verse 15, saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times because we need to hear the same thing. Why are we, why are we doing this for eight weeks? Because for some of you, it's gonna be in week seven and you're gonna be like, I got it. I got it, it took me a while. I got my guy, I got my gal. I realize you're talking to me. I realize you weren't talking to the person on my right and my left. I realize that when, when you're talking about this and, and the Bible says, you know, be evangelistic. There's not like a, you know, an asterisk and a footnote. My picture's in the back going, you don't, this guy doesn't need to do that. It's gonna take some of you multiple weeks to get this. Peter had to hear a vision three times. He says this, this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter, verse 17, was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. See God's timing? The vision ends, the people arrive. And he called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them to you. Now, listen, this is how mission works. God gives us an objective word and a subjective spirit. So you have not a vision with God's word, but you have the written down word of God. And it's fixed and it's objective and it's eternal and it's outside you. And this is so important to understand this. God gives us a fixed objective outside of us word and an internal, personal, subjective relationship with the Holy Spirit where he leads us. So I, I think you already know, we're, we're talking about the, what the word of God says. 
you need to have a relationship. We always talk about having a personal relationship with uh, Jesus. How about having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Would that be too out of the question? And what if you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? I mean, say, so say you're in checking out in, a, in, in line. You're at a checkout line and the lady in front of you, you see her or whatever, and you feel like on your heart, I should talk to this lady about Jesus. What are you gonna go? No, nah, that's Satan. That's definitely Satan. It's like, no, I don't think so. Get behind me, Satan. I'm not sharing with this woman. It's like, no. It's like, you know, why would you not think that might be the Holy Spirit? See, here's what I, you know, I, well, here's what I don't want to have happen in heaven. I don't want to have a bunch of conversations. I don't know how the final judgment flu works. I don't want to have a bunch of conversations with God where God was saying, I was telling you by the Holy Spirit to do this, and you didn't listen. I, I refuse to have those conversations. I'm willing to have the conversation where, you know, say that woman, I feel called to talk to that woman about Jesus, and I get to heaven, and Jesus goes, that wasn't me. But good job anyway. I mean, I'm glad you did that, you know? It's like, that's the conversation I'm willing to have. I, but, I, but we need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his leading in our lives. Here's what happens. And Peter went down to the men, verse 21, and he said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, well, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he gets this, and then this is the moment, look, so he invited them in to be his guests. Now, we don't think that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. You don't invite, because these guys are Gentiles, you don't invite Gentiles into a Jewish home, ever. So this is gonna be the first time ever Peter does this. Here's another principle for reaching people. If you're gonna reach somebody that you've never reached, most likely you're gonna have to do something that you've never done. Obviously. So my, my buddy, he used to play football, and he said, my football coach, he said he was a real Southern guy, he used to always say the same thing. You say, you keep on doing what you've been doing, you're gonna keep on getting what you've been getting. It's like, that's true in all of life. And I, I, want, I want that spirit in our church that says, you know what, I don't think I've tried everything. I'm trying to reach my dad, and I don't think I've tried everything. I think, I, 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 yeah, I, yes, I prayed for him. I, I, I haven't asked him if he'd want to do a Bible study. I haven't bought him a great Christian book and sent it to him. I haven't asked him how I could pray for him. I haven't asked him more about his spiritual journey to, so that I could better understand where he is and I might be able to speak into it. I've never invited him to, I don't know, some catalytic or strategic event. It's like, you just start saying, if we want to reach somebody that we've not yet reached, most likely we're going to have to do something that we've not yet done. Here's what happens. Verse 23, the next day he arose and he went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So here's the whole principle here. They're not coming to us, we have to go to them. You know, I had a lady ask me this uh, this week, which was just a reminder to me of sometimes as clear as I feel like I am, maybe I'm not, you know. I, I had a lady ask, and she meant really well when she said this. She said, Pastor Kyle, she said, is this initiative about growing our church. And I was like, look, my conscience is completely clear before God. Zero percent about this. Zero percent about our church growing because we're doing this. This is actually an initiative to say, we're going to go to people who would never come to church. So as you know, it's not 1952. In 1952, you could knock on your neighbor's door and say, would you like to come to my Sunday school class? And they'd go, well, that's okay, yeah. We live in a city, and we still live in a fairly religious city, but I would still say half the people will never go to church, ever. I mean, imagine you lived in Indonesia, right? 
And I don't know, there's a big Muslim mosque and they're building a big building downtown. And they're calling it their new home and hub, okay? And say there's a great kids ministry there. Are you going? I don't think you're going. What if it was a great pastor and they had great worship and the pastor was funny? You're not going. What if they're talking about sex in the Song of Solomon? Well, maybe, no, you're still not going. The, the whole point is, guys, it's like there are certain people they do not care what we're doing here. The church is so unbelievably irrelevant to them. They can't even, they will go to church if someone they know gets married or someone they know dies, and even then they won't like it. And so it's like, great, then we go to them. Here's how Christianity works. You go and tell, and then you find, what is the right time for me to say, come and see? And you do that the rest of your life. You go and tell. And the come and see isn't come to church. It might be for certain people. For most people, it'd be like, you know what? Can we have you over for dinner? And what you're thinking is, they need to come and see a Christian home. They need to come and see a Christian marriage. You're not telling them that. You go and tell, and then you immediately you go, you know what? This is the right moment for you to come and see. Come and see. And every once in a while, it might be for the right person. Coming to church might be the right come and see. Anyway, so he goes and tells them. That's what he does. It says this, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. I love it. Cornelius is a witness before he's a Christian. He's like, all right, guys, you know, there's this guy coming. He's going to share a message with us. And, and I've seen this, by the way. Somebody who's God's work in their life, and they're not yet a Christian, God uses them to bring a bunch of other people around as well. And look what happens. <clears throat> when Peter entered, Cornelius, so here's what I want you to see. They're both confused. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. You're like, wrong. But if you got a vision of an angel that said a guy is gonna come, it might be, you might be tempted to worship as well. Let's, let's give Cornelius a break just for a moment. But it also shows you how lost Cornelius is. Cornelius doesn't know what he needs or who he needs. He's religiously lost. The sadder thing is Peter, look here. <clears throat> but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. He actually grabs him, lifts him up. I am too a man. And as he talked with him and he went in and found many persons gathered, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit with anyone of any other nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. But this is what I wanna show you guys. This is, you're not even gonna believe this if you've never seen this before. I want you to understand that God brings Peter after a vision to Cornelius, after Cornelius sent people to him, and he brings them all together. And I want you to see what Peter says. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection Look at this. I asked then why you sent for me. Guys, it, I, I, you wouldn't believe it if it wasn't written down. Peter doesn't know why he's there. You're like, wait, Peter, no, 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 Peter, Peter, Peter. You're the rock that Christ said on this rock, I'll build my church. Like he said that to you. Like Peter, hold on, man. You're the leader of the disciples. You speak for and first when it comes to the disciples. Like Peter, hold on, man. Let's go back eight chapters you're the great preacher at Pentecost that leads 3,000 people to Christ. And you're so bold and you tell them to repent and be baptized. That was you, Peter. And it's like, Peter is so dense. And, and here's, here, guys, this is us. Do you see? You are Peter. God has put, God has like organized everything in your life and put you in front of these people. And you go, why am I here? Right? I mean, how many moms are just like frustrated and they're stressed out by the three or four little kids that they've got around? Understandably so. It's like, and they think, what am I doing? It's like, well, I don't know, at the most valuable and influential time in your kid's life, you get to spend all day with them. So what am I gonna do all day? It's like, uh, 
you have four souls in front of you. And you're going to be the first and primary influence in their life. How many of us are like, why am I at work? It's like, well, you know, you're like, I hate all these customers. I hate what I do. It's like, ugh. we can be so dense. I don't want to go to Thanksgiving with all our non-believing, you know, family members. It's like, oh, you don't get it. That's why you have Thanksgiving. It's like the one of two times a year where you're in front of people that you can share the gospel with. And so often it's so humbling and humiliating that it is more, as, as obvious as it is right now, we're reading it, it goes, Peter, dude, you're there to tell them about Jesus. And I don't know how you don't see this. It's like, that's probably about 10 different dimensions of your life. It's like God has organized everything, brought this relationship together, has prepared you, has prepared him, and you're like, I don't know why I'm here. Well, finally, Cornelius has to tell him. He says this, and Cornelius said, well, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, that's the angel, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, by the way, this is probably never gonna get to happen to you. We all wish this. Like we all wish someone came up to us and was like, hey, listen, you know, I had a dream and I think I need a savior and uh, I feel like I'm a sinner. Do you have a message for me? You know, I wish that would happen. But this is what God uses to wake up the church. And really, because we have to read the scripture and to wake up Peter, like, dude, you don't get it. So Peter finally gets it. Look here, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. Everything changes when you open your mouth. You haven't been on mission until you open your mouth. I want you to know this. Until you open your mouth and tell people about Jesus, you're just a nice guy. That's all you are. You're just a nice guy. And you might be a little strange and confusing to them. And, uh, you know, maybe you're a little prudish to them or something. I don't know. Maybe you're, you, you, you go to church and they don't really understand why you do that. And you don't use certain words. It's like, that's all you are. Just so you know. If all you're doing is hanging around, you're just the nice Christian guy. Who most people think your life is about all the things you don't get to do. And they actually feel bad for you. Nothing changes until you open your mouth. And when you open your mouth, you have to do one thing. You don't have to, you don't have to do cultural analysis. You don't have to do apologetics. You have to do the one thing Peter does. Look here. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John had proclaimed. He just talks about Jesus. I know we are so afraid or timid to talk to other people about Jesus. Here's the thing. He talks about Jesus' life. Like he talks about, I mean, think about it, guys. Just so you know, Jesus, you do know this. Jesus is the most famous person in all of human history. We just need to get better at talking about him in interesting and compelling ways to other people. Guys, go tell people about how he was the hardest on religious people and religious leaders. That'll be an interesting conversation. Jesus hated religion. Start that conversation. Huh? 
Yeah, and actually it was really interesting because he actually got in trouble a lot because, you know, he was always breaking the religious commands of the day about the Sabbath and other things like that. And then what's also was interesting is that, like, he was actually really close with sinners. And he would go eat with tax collectors, and he would go hang out with prostitutes, and no one really understood it, you know, and that was really interesting. And you could talk maybe about the kind of guys he chose and how he chose the people who no one else chose, and they already... You know, they couldn't make it as Pharisees and God. You, know, you could tell him stories about all his miracles. I mean, that, they're fascinating. You could tell stories about, all, you know, he's the best storyteller of all time. Why don't you tell some of his stories and what they mean? Well, he's also preached the most famous sermon of all time. It's like, guys, we don't talk about any of this. Here's the problem. We talk about two things. You talk about what you love and you talk about what's making a difference in your life. This is why every girl, when she's engaged, she talks about her fiance. This is why every parent, or especially every grandparent, as soon as they become a grandparent or they become a parent, they tell everyone about their kid. This is why, so you, you talk about something that you love or you talk about something that's having a big impact on you. This is why, unfortunately, everybody who does CrossFit tells us all about it, okay? We understand why. They lost weight, they added muscle, they have a new community, they've got a disciplined schedule, good for them. But seriously, they, they literally can't help it. And I understand it. They literally, this is why it's like a meme. A person who does CrossFit a lot can't help but tell everyone about it because it is literally changing their life. The problem with us is that we talk, we talk about the things we love and the things that are changing our lives. So if we're not talking about Jesus, what does that tell us? Yikes. Maybe we don't love him as much and aren't being transformed by him as much as we might think because if we were, the natural overflow of our life would be to talk about him. So anyway, he's talking about Jesus, and then you know this, verse 39, he doesn't just talk about his life, he talks about his death and the resurrection. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews, in the verse 39, and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He talks about the bloody cross. But God raised him on the third day, talks about the empty tomb, and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. So he talks about the life, death, resurrection of Christ. Verse 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. He talks about Jesus, his life, his death, resurrection, and how a person can believe and be forgiven. And I won't read you the rest of chapter 10, but it says that while he was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on the people and they were converted. He can't even finish his sermon. And their whole life has changed. And, and he sees Cornelius and his friends and his household come to faith in Christ. And he's so excited that I want us to go to chapter 11 just very quickly. I want you to see what he does. In chapter 11, it says, Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, so he's like, I cannot wait to tell people about the story of the gospel going forward. The circumcision party, that's religious people, they criticized him. This is exactly what church-going people do when people get serious about mission. Well, you're not gonna go there. Well, you're not gonna hang out with them. Well, you're not gonna do that method, right? This is what they always do. They always critique the method. D.L. Moody, famous evangelist, some lady came up to him and she goes, I don't like the way you evangelize. And he says, well, how do you evangelize? She goes, well, I don't. He goes, I like my way of doing it more than your way of not doing it. So here they are, they're critics. He says, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And he basically tells them the whole story. I won't repeat it. You, were, you just saw it. Well, God gave me this vision and God was working and God brought it together and I didn't understand, but then I shared the gospel and the Holy Spirit fell. And in verse 15, he says this, 
And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, look at this, the same critics, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying that the Gentiles also have been granted repentance that leads to life. When the criticism stops, the worship can begin. And what shuts the mouth of critics is stories of the gospel advancing and lives being changed. And here's the thing, Peter had stories. We get to see his story. He goes back and he goes, guys, you wouldn't believe what happens. And that chapter 11 is the story of what happened in chapter 10. What we don't get to see is that actually Cornelius, I'm sure, he goes back and he starts telling the same story from his perspective. And here's the thing, guys. We, here's the problem with us, with our generation in general, just all of us in here. We don't have any stories anymore. Like our grandparents, they fought, you know, wars and they built a nation and at least they had some type of stories. Guys, we have no stories, especially young people. Why are young people obsessed with traveling? I finally understand it because it's the only stories they have to tell. Well, if, honey, if we, go to, if we go to Europe and we take a lot of pictures and we eat at all of these restaurants and we hike all these trails, then we'll have stories to come back and tell because we don't have any stories. Why are people obsessed with movies and obsessed with television show? It's like because they don't have an interesting life themselves. They don't. And so they vicariously live through season one, season two, season three of other people's lives who don't even really exist. Why are young men, especially young men, addicted to video games? Because they have no story of their own. They have no princess they're pursuing. They have no battle they're fighting. They have no mission they're advancing. So they look at a screen and they play with their thumbs. God help us. We need to be a generation that has stories. I mean, you know, you know that's what you want. You wanna like go to the dinner table every night and you're like, all right, let's hear some stories. What'd you do today? I mean, community group, what really community group should be is it should be a massive bonfire where all you do is tell stories. It's like, oh, all right, we're gonna get to the text in a minute, but hold on, I gotta hear some stories this week. And it could be a story of failure. It could be a story of fear. It could be a story of success. I wanna hear some stories. That's what would it look like if we just decided, you know what, we're gonna be a place of stories. That, you might go, what do, what do we want Two Cities Church to feel like? That's it, stories. Where we have so many stories, like the one you saw at the beginning today, they go, that, we, guys, we have to, we, we, sorry, we're not gonna be able to show all the videos in service. There are just too many stories of the gospel going forward. Last week we said we ended with pray, guess, go. I love that, I hope you'll embrace that spirit. We're gonna pray, seek God, we're gonna guess. Okay, what is, what is God doing and we're gonna go? I wanna give you three words as we close today as well. And these are the three words that God said to Peter, remember? It was short, I, I didn't spend a lot of time, but he says to Peter in a dramatic way, because he wants to get his attention, rise, kill, eat. I thought, well, maybe that's what we should walk out here thinking, rise, what does that mean? You cannot stay where you are or how you are. You're going to need to rise. And in fact, in a few minutes, we're gonna ask you to rise out of your chair and we're gonna ask you to drop the card in a basket as saying, I'm gonna do my best and trust God with the rest. We're gonna ask you to kill. It's like, what, what do you mean, Kyle? We're gonna ask you to put to death the worst parts about you. I mean, that's it. What needs to die so that other people can experience spiritual life through you? And I, I will tell you what it is. It's the worst thing about you that you still love. And when you stand and you bring the card in a few minutes, you go, God, would you kill that in me? It's gonna take a few minutes to get up here and drop the card. You say, Lord, these are the two or three things that are holding me back. And I need you to do something in my life for the sake of other people. 
Because your life matters. We say this all the time. Your life matters so much more than you know. And you watch that video and you realize every conversation was important. Remember when Brock said, and I saw him, and I remembered I was in a place like that, and I took a step forward. Remember Ryan said, I saw where he was, and I invited him into my house. Every decision you make matters. And the final thing is you eat. What does that mean? It's like, enjoy the fruit of your ministry. You are going to get old. And what do you do? What, what do here's what happens when you're old. You look back on your life, and you say, what did I do? And one of the things we want you to do is we want you to look back on your life and you wanna say, God use me in the life of others. And there's an enjoyment in being satisfied in the fruit that God has brought. So I'm gonna pray that God prepares you, cause he is. And I'm gonna pr pray that God prepares your one because he's going to. And then you're gonna walk up and you're gonna drop this and you're gonna grab this wristband. And it's just a reminder to pray and pursue your one. And it's a reminder that we're doing this together as a church. Let's pray. Lord, this is a big moment. This is a moment, a marker, a milestone. There's something emotional about stepping forward and saying, Lord, there's someone's name on this card. And a name is a face, is a soul. This is someone's brother. This is someone's son. This is someone's daughter. This is someone who's going to live forever, Lord. And, and there's nothing that says we're serious about Jesus and his mission. And we think the cross matters. And it's so important to us that we're, we're taking responsibility for one person. Lord, I pray for people in this room who they can't write someone else's name down because they have to write their own name down. And the truth is if they're writing their name down, the truth is probably somebody else in here is also writing their name down. God, would we be a place of life transformation? Would we be a place of stories? We ask this in Jesus' name. Come forward as you're ready.